Welcome to Indie Music Marketing, a conversation on marketing for independent musicians. I'm Rich Hearn, a music marketer and artist manager. Join me as I talk to a different guest every week about the world of music marketing and how to focus on the right things when it's so easy to be busy and so hard to be productive. This week, I'm speaking to Bree Noble. I first came across Bree through the Profitable Musicians Summit, which is an online music conference aimed at providing step-by-step advice that artists can use to make a sustainable living from music. Bree teaches independent female artists how to build successful music careers via the Female Music Academy and hosts the Women of Substance radio station and podcast, which was launched in 2007 to promote quality female indie artists. I'll link to everything that Bree does in the show notes including her free workshop on releasing music but first i hope you enjoy this episode with brie noble brie thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me you are the 10th um 10th episode so I'm, i'll ask my um my editing friend to like put some kind of fanfare on there but um it feels like a landmark it's like yes we've got there 10 10 episodes so um yeah just thanks so much for talking to, to me first of all and um uh if you if you want to just yeah get straight into it, then the first question that I've asked everyone so far is about artists, narrative, and story, and what exactly we mean by that. And and the kind of um, I, I've talked about the fact that I sometimes find it. I, I think artists sometimes might find it difficult depending on who's talking to them because everyone has a different meaning. So um, I guess the first question is, what do we mean by an artist's narrative and story? I think for me, it's really what makes you unique, what experiences you've had in your life that would be interesting to other people. And I think where people get tripped up is they tend to be like, oh, nothing in my life has been interesting, you know, because they, they're in their bubble. They can't see what they've done that's been interesting. Like one example that I heard recently from my friend Cheryl B. Englehart, which I know many of you probably know who she is. Um, she was talking to my audience and said, you know, that I, that she used to do scuba diving for the government. And she did not think that was interesting because for her, that was the most boring job that she ever did in her life. Right. But she never thought about talking about that because to her, it was totally boring. And then to other people, when they heard that, they're like, what? Tell me more. That's crazy. How many people in the world do that? And so I think getting outside of your own head and figuring out what would be interesting to other people and maybe even like what I teach artists to do is take this big inventory of things that you've done in your life, experiences that you've had um, that are not necessarily common or even maybe to you seem common, but you should still write them down anyway, because to other people, they wouldn't be common. And I, I've taken this inventory for myself and, you know, there's some weird things that have happened to my life that other people maybe could identify with or couldn't identify with. And they're like, I want to know more. What was it like to go through that experience? And, you know, one thing that my daughter pointed out to me the other day that's happened to me is my parents got divorced and then remarried each other again and then got divorced again. <laughs> and so she's no like, how weird is that, that that happened to you when you were, you know, between the ages of 10 and 16 and what was that like? And, you know, she was asking me all kinds of questions about it. And that definitely, you know, I have never written a song about it, but it makes me think I should write a song about that because that's a pretty weird, interesting experience. And so I have kind of this process that I take artists through where it's like, I want you to take inventory of all the things, the experiences, the places you've lived, the 
you know, the people that you know, the people that are related to you, what they do, what they have done that's been interesting, and just take all of that down and then, you know, really like look it over, let it wash over you and maybe even get together with somebody else, like, you know, someone in your band, someone in your circle that's not too connected to you and your life and be like, you know, what do you think of these things? Do they, is there anything that jumps out at you that you're like, oh, I'd really love to know more about that. And then also just knowing what you love to listen to. So I have certain podcasts that I love to listen to because the way they tell stories or the stories that they, they tell are so interesting to me. And I try to analyze like, why is the story interesting? Why is it that I can't, even though I'm done with my walk and I'm at home, I'm making excuses as to why I don't want to go back to work yet because I want to hear the end of the story, you know? So, so kind of really analyzing in yourself, what makes you love a story and why you would want to keep listening and write down some of the the common ideas of what you what makes you love that story or what makes you you know binge a certain show on Netflix or whatever and try to work that into your own way of telling your stories either about you know the experience of writing a particular song the the story behind certain lyrics just stories about you and your life that is your narrative and that's what people are interested in and and yes they love your music but they also love how it relates to you and kind of the artistic um journey of how that music was born is interesting to people i think that's really helpful as well to have straight away have some kind of ideas on how to do this stuff because like the kind of follow-on questions to that are about you know, so, so first of all, what does it mean to you? But then, you know, what should artists do to try and sort of develop it and build it? And, and I think, like you say, for a lot of artists, that it's really hard to sort of get outside of yourself and see what is interesting about your story. It's so easy to kind of kind of go, I just, I'm just an artist that writes music. So I think to kind of, yeah, like, like the way that you try and get artists to kind of get outside themselves and, and just dump everything and kind of go look all, all this stuff there's going to be some stuff in there that's interesting to people and your your story is quite unique you know that that your parents sort of getting divorced and remarrying getting divorced again it's it's simply unique that's, that's it cool. is and it's such a small part of my story it's literally something that I never have talked about like it just hasn't come up it's one of those things where you know when you play that game like two truths and a lie or whatever I always put that <laughs> in there and but it's so obvious because who would come up with that you know that's obvious yeah, that's it. <laughs> but I've that's never cool. talked about that as an artist it just hasn't come up but I suppose that's it. It's, it's also then the case of, sort of things being necessary. And, you know, we talked, we talked before, before we started recording about my story with my father and, and that's kind of something that I don't really talk about, I, but it's, you know, it's a huge part and it's a huge reason for, I think I'm realizing now that it's a big reason for a lot of the things that I'm doing. So anyway, moving on the, the next bit I want to talk about, um, and again, I always sort of caveat these first couple of questions by saying that this is the Indie Music Marketing Podcast, yet we haven't really talked yet about marketing particularly, but I have quite a holistic view of what marketing is, and I kind of feel like it's everything that, you know, from the music to every everything beyond that. Um, 
And so I kind of, yeah, I, I sort of want to get into this idea of artists having the confidence and self-belief to, uh, to be doing this whole thing. You know, you've got to have confidence and self-belief to be a musician in the first place. I remember someone once describing being a, being a musician to me as being like standing on a street corner, completely naked, shouting, judge me. Because, you know, if you're doing music the right way, it should be, you know, your heart on your sleeve and your kind of the real you coming through your music so when you put it out there it is a case of kind of being brave enough to do that and so I guess yeah the question here is how should an artist develop confidence and self-belief um wow well first of all I wanted to go back to something you said about we haven't talked about marketing yet because we totally Mm. have like the storytelling to me is such a huge part of the marketing and I always tell people like they think they're not good at marketing But all marketing is, is just telling your story, really telling different stories. Um, So I just wanted to throw that out there. But as far (laughs) as, um, you know, putting yourself out there as an artist, it's so true. I heard heard a quote the other day that I loved that was, um, haters aren't the ones paying my bills. And so the problem is that we are so influenced by the bad comments that we get the haters. And we're and it's so easy to like disregard the 99% of people that are saying great things about what we're doing. So mm. first of all, I just want you guys to, to not let the people that are hating on you or, you know, giving you bad comments about your music, that should not dictate what you do. Like don't change your music because of them. But you do need to be listening to the people that do love what you do. And if they have ideas, you know, or opinions, you know, like for me, I am an artist who performs singer songwriter, Christian, and I'm also a classical vocalist. So a lot of times at my concerts, I would do some like Broadway or classical music and throw it in because people loved it. And then I started getting people come to my merch table saying like, where can I buy a CD of that? I'm like, well, I don't actually have one. And so I started realizing I need to listen to my fans. They're asking for this. So I created it for them. So we need to really listen to the people that are loving what we do and tune out the people that aren't. But as far as knowing like whether we're good in the first place, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's hard because when you're first starting out, like you only have your family and friends are the only fans that you have, right? And then you're wondering, well, do they like, are they just pretending to like me? Do they feel like they have to say they like my music? You know, so there's that jump that you have to take between my only fans, quote fans, are family and friends. And then like, I finally attracted a person that didn't know me before. And once you've done that once or twice, then you know that what you have is good enough that you can attract a cold audience, that you're producing something of quality enough that you are, you know, reaching people and that they're liking it. But you do need to put yourself through a, you know, the lens of somebody who really knows what's good and what's not. And I do believe, yeah, there's a lot of different tastes, right? But there is some level of quality and not good enough quality. And for Mm -hmm. me as running women of substance radio podcast, like I listen to hundreds of songs a month and they're in all different genres. And some of the genres are not my favorite, 
right? I'm not a big fan of rap. I'm not a big fan of like super hard rock, but I still play that music because it shouldn't be about what music I like. It should be about what is good quality for that genre. And because I've listened to thousands upon thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands of songs since I started it in 2007, I think I'm a pretty good judge of what's quality within each genre. So, you know, submitting your music to someone like me, a curator who has experienced so many songs, you can feel pretty confident that if they like at least one of your songs, you're doing something right. They might not like all of your songs. They might feel like some of them sound a little bit similar, but if they like one of them enough to play it, that's a good sign. Same thing with songwriting. If you submit your music to real critics, you know, somewhere like Taxi Music or, um, you know, any of the really good songwriting contests, you can really know if you get some actual feedback, not just like you won or you didn't win, you want to submit it to somewhere where you're getting some actual feedback, you know, you'll know that like, okay, this person told me that, you know, my verse is good, but my chorus is really predictable or, you know, it's too similar to the verse or, you know, but they're saying, okay, I have some good elements here. I need to make a few changes and then submit it back and get some feedback. That was how I improved as a songwriter. You have to be, you have to be open to criticism and be willing to change your music um, because there is a, a better, a good, better, best um, in songwriting in that there are certain things that just will appeal more to people than other things based upon structure and, you know, all, all certain kinds of different kinds of things you can judge upon. And same thing with quality of your recording. The same thing, like I'll receive tons of recordings and I'm like, you know, this song is good, but I just can't play it. The quality is not good enough. You've got to invest in, you know, getting better equipment or recording in a studio. So there are definitely ways to get feedback. And I would try to get feedback on those things before you spend the money to actually go through the full release process of music. And the thing is that now it's so easy to release music, right? Anyone can just send it off to CD Baby and it can get on Spotify and it could be total crap and no one's going to stop it from you know, coming through yeah. the Spotify gates and being on Spotify. And later on, you may regret that you did that. So I would definitely go through the, you know, the hard part of putting it in front of people that you know, know what they're talking about or have enough experience with multiple, um, you know, levels to know that when they say it's good, it's actually good before you actually release anything. So that was a super definitely. long answer, but hopefully that no, answers your question. Definitely it does. I mean, yeah, I think what, what I took from that is that you've got to be brave as an artist. You've got to kind of be brave enough to put it in front of the sort of people that you know are going to have opinions or experience enough to be able to tell you, yes, I know this is good enough or it isn't. Over here, we have the BBC introducing system, which is kind of local uh, local BBC stations in, in every city or county of the country. And those guys and girls listen to 
so much local music that, like you say, that there's a kind of benchmark. And if your music gets played, then it's probably because they think it's good enough. And they, being the kind of people that receive everything, if it doesn't, then you know there's there's potentially something that needs to be improved or what have you. But yeah, I, I guess when you know that there's something riding on the people who you're sending your music to, um, saying yes or no, then uh, that's you've got to be brave. And I mean, yeah, I guess there is another kind of school of thought in all of this where, you know, the music industry of old was all about kind of putting demos to record labels. And that was the first step. And, you know, Seth Godin has kind of uh, propagated this idea of, of not waiting to be picked and picking yourself and self-publishing and what have you. Um, But, you know, there still comes a point where it's not up to you and it's not up to me whether the music is good enough in inverted commas. It's kind of once you've released the music, it's up to the audience and then you will know. So, yeah, there is that kind of whole big bit of being a musician and putting music out there that's about just being brave. Well, yeah, you definitely can do that now. And I think, you know, I'm Mm. I'm a self-published author as well, as well as releasing music. And so I get that. Like you don't want to wait for someone to give you permission. On the other hand, make sure that once you do release that, I mean, that you've done your due diligence to make sure it really, really is good because it's true that no one's going to stop you from releasing it now. <laughs> yeah. I always talk to a lot of artists that I work with when they're talking about sort of, so, okay, we need to get into distribution. You know, what do we do here? It's like, well, you know, there's all these um, self-service distribution platforms that will accept Hungarian nose flute. You know, it doesn't, it, it's, it's a case of kind of doing your research and figuring out who, which of those platforms kind of resonates best with what you're trying to achieve and who you are and what have you. Um, but yeah anyway I digress a little bit I, I guess okay the next question is kind of pulling us now back to uh, very much kind of marketing related stuff because I want to co- talk about great music marketing strategies and the question is kind of can you describe a great music marketing strategy in 2020 but I don't it doesn't have to be right now it just it's just the idea of kind of going if you're an artist and you're about to sort of put some music out, maybe it's the first thing you've done or, or you've kind of been releasing music and you're thinking, right, how do I do the marketing strategy a bit better? You know, what's your opinion on, on a sort of great way to do the marketing strategy bit? Well, I think I would totally double down right now on Spotify because I try to look at it as a Spotify user. So I'm a, I love Spotify and I'm a paid subscriber to Spotify and my experience as a user, I just love how they curate stuff for me. And so when you're an artist, you want to be the recipient of that curation. And in order to do that, you have to get people to listen to your music and follow you on Spotify. So whenever you release something, Spotify says, hey, I remembered that this person liked this music before. Maybe they'd like it again. And they serve it to them. And I just think that is the coolest thing that Spotify does for indie artists. And a lot of people don't take advantage of it. I mean, I had one of my indie artists that I work with, you know, of course I followed her on Spotify. And when she released a new single, I didn't even know she was coming out with it yet. First way I found out is I got an email in my inbox with a giant picture of her and (laughs) telling me to go and listen to her new song. And I was like, how cool is this that Spotify does your advertising for you? All you need to do is make sure that people, you know, hit a little button that takes them five seconds 
And now they're going to be serving this up to you. And not only do I get an email, but I get it in my release radar. And then if I don't notice it in my release radar, they'll probably serve it to me again in my Discover Weekly. And eventually, hopefully, it will get added to one of my playlists. So I would definitely be leveraging Spotify. And I know, you know, some of the students that I work with, they're older and they say my audience doesn't use Spotify, but I think that we can train them. <laughs> we can train them to use <laughs> Spotify. And I think once they start using it, they'll love it. But some of them are still in the, you know, CD world or they're just downloading their music or using, you know, iTunes or something. Um, but if we explain to them how awesome Spotify is and what a great opportunity it is to help indie artists, I think we can convert them. And I, I think that that that's really something we should focus on as artists because it's a, it's a real boon to us the way Spotify has set up their system. Just like, you know, in the old days of social media or Facebook, like in the beginning, they would start like serving stuff to your friends, you know, something that you like, they would put it in front of their friends and be like, you know, maybe because you're friends, you would like this. And any, any way that that algorithm really works in your favor, you want to double down on that as long as it gives you the advantage. You know, I don't know what Spotify is going to do in the future, but to me, that's just beneficial to them because if I love going on Spotify because I discover new songs by artists I haven't thought about in a while, I'm going to keep wanting to go on to Spotify. So I don't see this changing anytime soon. No, cool. Yeah, so I mean... I suppose long term, it's it's a case of kind of trying to understand where that's going and and how to kind of make the most of it, like you say. But yeah, right now, driving as many people as possible to to follow you on Spotify means that yeah, every time you put something out, as you say, they're going to get they're going to know about it. And if they don't know about it because they missed the email, then it may well end up somewhere else in their user behavior on the platform. So. Um, so yeah, definitely agree with you 100%. And I suppose, okay, th this kind of brings us nicely because some people may argue, like it may be some of your, the musicians you mentioned earlier who kind of sell, still sell CDs and, and perhaps, you know, make money from other things. They might go, well, actually, if I send everyone to Spotify, I make $0.0004 per stream or whatever. It's not somewhere I'm going to make any money. And I suppose... I I want to come on to this idea of sustainable in careers for independent artists. And I suppose the first question there is with the artists that you work with and the artists that you know, do you believe in sustainable independent careers for musicians? Do they even exist? I definitely do. Um, to me, the, the, Ability to do that lies in streams of income. And that's why in my first summit, you know, you talked about how you first saw me because of the Profitable Musician Summit. And our mm. first one was all focused on streams of income. And we we showed like 33 different streams of income. And it wasn't to like overwhelm an artist and make them think I have to do all of them. The point was, you know, here are these options and you should pick, you know, four to six of them. And really, really dial those in because that is going to sustain you no matter what's happening. I mean, if I look at what's happening right now with the global pandemic, it 
if you were only doing live shows, that's not going to sustain you because that got shut down. So hopefully you had a bunch of different income streams. You were, you know, doing some teaching, maybe you were um, doing like custom songs or, you know, there's like a lot of different income streams that we talked about that you can, you know, you had a Patreon group that's supporting you monthly, you know, whatever it is that you chose as your income streams, the ones that are down now, there are other ones that are up and you can double down on those while the other ones are down. But if, and if you've got them dialed in already, you know, say you had a home studio and you were recording demos, you could do a lot more of that now because you're at home and you're not out performing. So it's really to me in the diversification and there's no shame in having multiple streams of income as an artist. In fact, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think that now this, that this has happened, people are really seeing the light when it comes to that. Um, as far as like CD sales and stuff, yeah, uh, CD sales have gone down. Um, and people tend to buy CDs more as memorabilia than to actually listen to them because the, we have fewer and fewer ways to listen to them and they're getting fewer all the time uh, as far as devices and stuff. But that doesn't mean you can't sell CDs. I always recommend sell them in bundles. You know, find merch that your audience would love to buy. You know, if your audience are, uh, you know, more like women and moms, you know, maybe they want coffee mugs and, and tote bags. And, you know, we used to sell like soap and, you know, just different things. Um, you know, t-shirts that are more women centric. And if you're, a, you know, a different kind of artist that has, a, you know, if you're a band that maybe has a different kind of audience, maybe you sell, you know, beer koozies or, you know, you have beer mugs or you sell, <laughs> you know, hats or like t-shirts that are like more focused on like your cool logo or whatever. You know, you need to think about the kind of merch that your people would like. Don't just assume that they like t-shirts, you know, do a, mm, be creative, do, yeah. do a survey and see if they really would wear a t-shirt, but yeah. you can still sell those now. Even if you're not out live, you can still sell them on your live streams and people can buy them online. And yeah, it's much better if you can do it in person, but I, I still believe that CDs can add value to a bundle I don't see a lot of just CDs being sold, but some of that sometimes they are, um, especially older audiences. Um, but I think they add value to a bundle, and I think people still want to have one. Definitely, and and some people just—I mean, I talk to a lot of artists about this as well—that like you can kind of get away with a pretty generic logo T-shirt, and people will buy it because they want to support the artist. Mm -hmm. Like that, I, I try and encourage artists to think beyond that and kind of go, no, actually create merch that people want to buy because it's good, not yep. not because they want to support you. And then, you know, you, you maybe that's got a bit more longevity. A, a band like Modest Mouse, for example, who kind of, like you mentioned, uh, moms, they, they sell baby grows, you know, they sell such, their kind of merch stories, is so creative and oh, this is something yeah, i that... totally would have bought like um onesies you know i remember <laughs> yeah, we that's had, it. Yeah, yeah yeah we had a 49er onesie because we're big 49er fans here in california <laughs> and you know i would have bought onesies for anything that i was interested in if i could find them because i knew that i needed to use them <laughs> mm, that's it and and it, yeah 
just gives you something you need and so and, and, and a way that you can support an artist. I think that's really cool. I think bringing, I mean, this is something, the reason that kind of you got in touch with me originally was through Derek's, the first podcast with Derek Sivers. And he talked about and does in his, in his current book about the fact that all this stuff, um, business and marketing seems like the, the icky stuff for a lot of artists. They kind of do the art and then it's like, oh, God, the business and marketing stuff. But, you know, he I think one of his podcasts and one, uh, one of his blog posts, sorry, and one of the um, chapters of his book is about the fact that business is creative. And I think the more that artists can kind of get that and go, oh, yeah, no, actually, this is just an opportunity for me to do an extension of my creativity and you know bring it to everything i think the more that artists embrace that the better and merch is one of those places where you know they can absolutely do that so so yeah, yeah so advice. true i in fact a, a friend of mine chris bradley her brand is called produce like a boss and she teaches artists to record from home um but she you know she's an artist as well and she said to me the other day she's like i am just loving you know being able to you know work with marketing in relation to selling my course and, and all the cool things that I can do around it and my podcast and all this. And she's like, I don't know why I thought marketing was so scary and yucky when I was an artist. It's so much fun. <laughs> and I think that, you know, you just, you get this bad impression of it. And that's why I like to say that marketing is just telling stories because that's a lot mm. less scary because we do that through songs anyway, right? Mm. We naturally do that. I think I, I think I even said on on the first podcast, and the, again, this is the indie music marketing podcast. So I cl- I, I clearly kind of I, I I do value marketing, but I think I said to Derek, I hate so much marketing, <laughs> and I think what I mean by that is the stuff that artists hate. You know, the the kind of the the world of kind of advertising and um, persuading people to buy things they don't want. That that kind of bit of marketing, which is the the, the dirty horrible bit, but. I love so much of it as well when it when it is creative and it's kind of bringing you know the, the campaigns that get talked about are the ones where an artist have, has kind of yeah brought their creativity that to that side of it. So I think that's really really important. As, um, the last last kind of bit of the podcast, I always want to kind of just consider the musicians who are listening to a uh, podcast on music marketing for independent musicians and thinking, I just want to go away and do stuff and admittedly you've i think you've given lots of actionable stuff in every answer um so you know you may well have already answered this question but the last one i, I want to talk about like a, a deep dive on on something tactical so that artists who want to like switch the podcast off and go away and do something that is going to sort of make an impact on their career right now um can you discuss one marketing tactic that independent artists could use to advance their career today yeah, I mean, I think I just want to expand on what I said about Spotify. And it's really, we need to educate our fans. We cannot assume that they know what to do and why they should do it. And so, you know, sending emails or making posts, just saying, go follow me on Spotify, like they're not going to understand why that's important. But if you say, you know, I appreciate your support so much. And, you know, hitting this one little button on Spotify does this. This is why it's important to Mm -hmm. me. And this is what happens when the algorithm kicks in. And, you know, if we really explain the details of why it's important to us, then they'll be like, sure, I can spend five seconds doing that. No problem. 
you know? And so we just, we need to realize that for us, a lot of these marketing mechanisms are just so ingrained and we've been doing them for so long, but other people don't even understand them. Like so many, even so many artists don't understand how Spotify works. Um, So imagine our fans, you know, they really don't, they just, Mm. they turn it on and they just take whatever Spotify gives them and they just start listening and they don't realize that there's a rhyme or reason around what Spotify gives them and that they have control over that and that they, you know, just by hitting a little button, they can help out artists that they like and also get the content that they want. So yeah, take, take your fans back to school on those things that are important and matter enough for you to teach them how to help you. I think that's. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking like give them an explainer video, like show them, on your phone by recording your screen exactly how to go do it. Cause a lot of fans, they're too embarrassed to say like, I don't know how to, you know, hit the follow button or add mm-hmm. something to a playlist. Like say, you know, they want to start their own favorites playlist on Spotify so they can l- listen to songs that they like by artists they like, but they literally don't know how to do it because it's so, um, you know, like the younger generation, things are so intuitive on a phone and the older generation, I'm putting myself in that too. I'm 48, but like things to me are not intuitive on a phone. And so I have to really like take the time to learn how to use a platform or a, a, an app on a phone and really use all of the features And so just the act of making a little explainer video, knowing that your fans are going to be too embarrassed to say that they don't know how to do something and just giving, you know, spoon feeding that to them. There's nothing insulting about that because there's somebody out there that has that question. I promise. (laughs) Definitely. My sister, I think is one of them. And (laughs) um, I I, I work with an artist as well, who who is himself a a kind of self-proclaimed, um, I don't know how to describe it, but, you know, fearsome of things on the internet. So, you know, I remember having to get him to download and install Zoom for meetings. Yeah, exactly. Technophobe. So, yeah, kind of, okay, we we need to download and install this piece of software so we can have these meetings. And I remember just thinking, I'm not sure if this is going to work because I know what he's like and he might not want to click that button or this button or which button. So, yeah, I think that's a really valuable um, idea for artists to kind of, yeah, just get into the fact. And, you know, that it does seem to be, I, I see some artists explaining it a little bit, but not many, very few, in fact, thinking about it. I think I could count them on one hand, the artists who've kind of said why I want you to pre-save my track or why I want you to um, follow me on Spotify. So I think that's a really, yeah, a, a really tangible thing that artists can go away and do. Cool. And I mean, you could even make it fun. Like you could do a little explainer video on how to, you know, create a playlist and, and add, you know, my track to your personal playlist. And you could, you could do like a little, I don't know, a little skit around it or something and make it fun. And then people would enjoy watching that while also learning. Heck, you could write a song about it. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Yeah. Great idea. (laughs) In fact, why don't you, if you do that, uh, I'll share it and then, uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, think I can crowdsource it with my academy members like let's write a song about how to add a you know how to add a song to playlist on spotify yeah about how yeah how how the algorithm how to help artists tweak the algorithm 
as a fan. I think that's a, that would be a hit, I'm sure. <laughs> so that was Brie Noble from Women of Substance Radio and the Female Music Academy. Brie wanted me to let you know about her free workshop on releasing music, which you can find at rockyournextrelease.com, where she provides a release framework that will help you avoid overwhelm and not miss out on promotional and income opportunities. If you want to subscribe to this show, head over to indiemusicmarketing.co.uk, where you'll also find the show notes for this and all other episodes, and check out Amplifier, spelt A-M-P-L-I-F-Y-R.co.uk, if you need any help with any of this stuff. Please do get in touch if you have any questions, comments, feedback, or suggestions. You can find me on Instagram at IndieMusicMarketing or email rich at IndieMusicMarketing.co.uk. Thank you for listening and see you next episode.